Support for WGLT's Grow comes from FS Custom Turf by Evergreen FS. FS Custom Turf offers complete lawn and tree care services to preserve the health of yards, trees, and shrubs. Products and services detailed at evergreen-fs.com. Welcome to Grow, I'm Sarah Nardi. Spring is one of the most exciting times for food. After a long winter, we kick off the growing season with asparagus, ramps, and rhubarb. It's also a great time for mushrooms. And if you're feeling adventurous, you can forage for some yourself. Patrick Murphy is here to tell us all about how to find one of the true gems of the world of fungi, the morel. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Sarah. I'm so excited to talk about this because it's truly something that I really, really want to do. So tell us about foraging for morels. I'd be happy to. Uh, One of the most popular mushrooms to forage and eat is the morel mushroom, Morchella esculanta. Uh, They can only be found in the wild, and they can only be found through foraging. Now, you can buy dried morels. That's all I'm going to say about it. They're not as good. I have some at home. Yeah. (laughs) They're found in the forest rather than a prairie or a swamp. Or a floodplain. You couldn't find them next to a floodplain. Okay. And uh, the best part about the morel is they're savory. They have a beefy, nutty flavor with no aftertaste. They don't have a gamey. They're very clean. They are. They're clean. And you cook them by frying them, roasting, baking. Um, the grilling folks, you can do that too. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Is that, so what are your, some of your favorite morel preparations? I, I like it really simple. Iron skillet, butter, salt, pepper. I've heard that. That's it. You know what? I've never had them that way. Yeah. I like them in a pasta primavera oh. with all the other spring guys in there. You yeah. know, the peas and the asparagus. That Super sounds good. heavenly. Mm-hmm. Finding a morel is the hard part. They grow and live off of dead, decomposing tree roots and tree parts. And old tire ruts are even a good place to look for morels. If the vehicle has went off the road in an area that's not a road, it may have killed something. And then the decomposition of those dying parts can cause morels to grow. And that could take a couple years. So it's not like you make a wheel rut out at the lake and then come back in a week. So don't go off-roading thinking that you're going to make morels happen. At least for a couple years. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So there are some barometer or indicator plants that you should look for. And those are elm trees, oak trees, ash trees. There are very few of those left nowadays in Illinois. And poplar are a great start especially where these trees have been felled or have just fallen over after declining. So it's a one to two years later. And wherever you see new fern fiddleheads beginning to emerge, so that's the woodland ferns, it's many kinds, Mm -hmm. wherever you see those, that's a good signal that the conditions and the soil temperature for the morels is ready to go. All right, and that's a good tip. Do you ever forage the fiddleheads? I have never transplanted ferns until last year, so the jury's out on that. Okay. Uh, we'll, we can talk about that. Right, because also edible, and they remind, and I wanted to bring it up because they reminded me of the um, poke salette that we just talked about because they're also toxic if not prepared properly. Uh, i got to look into that. Uh-huh. Thanks. Thank you yeah. for that. That's wonderful. I had no idea. My pleasure. Uh, pine tree stands, soft pine tree stands are a good place also especially after the logging and clearing type scenarios. Abandoned orchards, and then this is the one that might, this is my favorite, old farmstead locations where the farm residence may have once stood and is now gone. It's really cool. That's a great spot. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's highly likely if that was, say, a Depression-era construction, maybe even post-war, it's highly likely that the occupants of that rural home were themselves morel mushroom seekers. And when they brought them home, they inoculated the site. 
that's simple. Huh. And it happens a lot that way. Many foragers along those lines, Sarah, they use a mesh bag to collect their morels so that when they're foraging around, they're actually inoculating the rest of the woods with the spores falling out of the mesh bag. And you know, I just think that is so conscientious to, you know, give a little back where you took. Right? Yeah, it's a great idea. And I'd like to say the fishermen that leave their worm containers on the bank, shame on you. Is that a thing? That's a thing. But spring is the best time to forage for morels. You want to hunt for them during full sun times. I like the early morning light the best because there's sometimes still a shadow. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a little trick is to train your eye to find them by using a picture to recognize them from three, four, or five feet away. So place the image on the ground and try and visualize it from a distance. Where am I doing? Like in my house, in my yard? Where am I, I would say in the yard okay. or in uh, a place that resembles where you might be looking for them because your eyes like a, a window for your brain and the, your computer takes a picture of this. This technique is used when it comes to uh, professional pitchers and collegiate pitchers. They mm-hmm. look at images of the strike zone against other competitors. Well, that's fascinating. And I know people that have uh, trained themselves and their children to look for arrowheads in this way. So they, they have an arrowhead they found or they have a blank that they made themselves and you throw it in the earth and you find it. That makes sense. So yeah. on, on that, can I train my small child who's real close to the ground and real nosy? I can train her to do my mushroom hunting, right? You can introduce her <laughs> to the whole concept. And I know other uh, parents that have done this with a great deal of success. Mm-hmm. And their eyes are strong, a little closer to the ground. And the natural curiosity that comes with it all, I think, is kind of like this little energy beam that makes it all happen. Yeah. People use this technique also to find geodes, mm-hmm. asparagus that's growing in the ditches, uh, wild asparagus, ginseng. These, this is uh, not something new at all. Okay. Uh, soil thermometer can be helpful to locate soils that are in the 50-degree range. So if you're looking around in an area and you, you say to yourself, oh, it's kind of warm here, test the soil real quick. Uh, meat thermometer looking that's deal. A, okay. Can you use a meat thermometer? I don't know. Okay. You could test it, I suppose. You could use anything to measure the temperature, I suppose, if you test it and calibrate it. Mm-hmm. But so, you, so you're looking for them, and you might say to yourself, "I'm going to take my jacket off," and then, oh, that reminds me, I better check the soil. And then you stick the probe in the soil and find out it's like 62 degrees. Move on. Okay. You're not going to find them there. Wasting your time. Yeah, and Illinois happens to be in the top three states for foraging morels. Uh, so it goes Tennessee, Illinois, Indiana, in that order for the top states. Here's the deal on the identification part. Morel caps have a honeycomb or brain-like texture to their appearance rather than a crumpled napkin. That I say that because there's one distant confusing possibility of a mushroom that has a resemblance and uh, I don't know why people would mistake this myself. The uh, morel is hollow on the inside and it's always longer or taller than it is wide so it's always kind of columnar in appearance and if you're foraging for the first time take time to examine what the possible mistaken mushrooms may look like sure and that varies depending if you're in tennessee there are others that might get you in trouble okay good news here in the prairie not so not so much confusion and then uh, make sure you take time to wash them well and maybe soak them overnight in salt water to help eliminate the bugs that are hiding inside the honeycomb crevices 
and on the inside, the, right. the and, hollow part. And I think that's a good tip for identifying morels here in the Midwest. If it doesn't look like an, a little apartment building for bugs, you know, their little apartment, everybody it. has their own room, then it's not a morel. Yep. And then I find this part interesting, too. Just like a reliable fishing hole, one can consider not sharing with just anyone where you found them. Yeah, and people are very proprietary because I've been gifted morels, which is lovely, but then denied any sort of identifying information about where they <laughs> came from, which fine. And the biggest competitor to finding morels are the white-tailed deer. Oh, they, they eat them too. I bet they're good at finding them. Uh, yeah, you know they can smell them like a mile away or mm -hmm. something probably. But the morels are worth looking for and they freeze really well. And mm -hmm. you can eat a whole bunch of them before you get sick of them and then freeze the rest of them and start eating them around football season time again. Morels that I've kept in the freezer for a long time are kind of in the same category as the dried ones. That makes sense. They start to change. You know, everything yeah. everything yeah. has a, a limit. Yeah. Good advice as always. Well, if you have any questions about the garden or landscape, get in touch and Patrick Murphy will answer. I'm Sarah Nardi. Send your questions to wglt.org slash grow.